Hey helpers, this is Being the Work, the show where therapist buddies get to relax, hang out, get out of the chair and into our lives, where we can go on a journey into the taboo and absurd and entirely agonizing moments of life as humans and helpers. I'm Blakely. And I'm Ben. And we're getting intentional about remembering our purpose, addressing our pain, expressing our grievances, and doing some self-care together so we can keep helping people. We're really glad you're here. Thank you, Blakely. I'm really glad I'm here. Mm-hmm. And everyone, there's some links. <laughs> there's some links in the show notes for support and ways to get in touch with us if you'd like to hang out sometime. Let's get started. Here we go. So I'm super excited to have my good friend Casey on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and for hosting us. I'm, I'm excited to have you. Usually in getting started with people, one or the other of us is sort of bringing that person to the conversation. And I'm assuming that most of our listeners don't know who you are. So just to set a little bit of shorthand in the beginning, I like to ask people to give us a rundown of some of those um, elements of your personality. If you know your Enneagram or your MBTI, even your astrological sign, I think those start to patch together what we, at least how we see ourselves and what some of our instincts are. Well, my name is Casey. Um, I am a mom, first and foremost. Um, I'm also a school counselor and have been so for the last seven years. I was a high school teacher prior to that for about eight years, which is kind of what led me to be a school counselor, but I guess we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, okay, first of all, I love taking all those quizzes and tests and reading about all those things. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun. I am a Virgo baby. Okay. And so a lot of that comes up with perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. Ben will be like, oh, yeah, that resonates with her. I am also an INFJ. I am also two with a wing three for an Enneagram. So a helper and achiever. Mm, that fits. Yeah. 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 That fits. People talk a lot of shit about astrology, but it's funny how it all kind of comes together. Because INFJ kind of sums up the Virgo personality. I think so too. My understanding at least is this like achieving, perfectionist, deep feeling, oftentimes feeling uh, different, lonely. In that mix of intensity, I think. Yeah, it's like we have this deep desire to be loved and to belong and to be enough. But oftentimes, we don't necessarily know how to go out into the world. Yeah, to find the tribe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, wow. You're impressive, likely. Mm. Yeah. You just like, you have all that stuff just like in your head. And I love it. I'm here for it. Seeing Casey, you nod along with all of that. I'm like, okay, I'm learning. Well, and that's why I like to ask this question too, because it's just me spitballing what I know about sure. these random pieces of who you feel like you are. Right. And then Ben has actually been around you and has a relationship with you and has kind of observed you in mm-hmm. in the wild. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny how right. it all comes together. So Casey and I met in our PhD and uh, I think we had online classes before we actually knew each other. And then like we knew each other after reading each other's work for a long time for like a whole semester. And then our, our cohort just like bonded super strong. Yeah. And I mean, it was like, then the pandemic happened and everything. And we just, I don't know, stuck together through it all. <laughs> like, Having that sense of community was huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a huge reason why I want to do this. Yeah. Right? Like we, like, we have so much in common and so much that bonds us that we just need to learn more about each other. It's helped my self-care a ton. Yeah. I love listening to the podcast. Uh, the things that come to mind when I do listen to you both is, one, how knowledgeable you both are. Two, how raw and real. just how comforting Mm. this whole Mm. process is. Um, I actually look forward to when you release them. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) Spread the word. That makes me feel warm. (laughs) I like that. Thank you. So take us back to the beginning. What 
What were key moments that you remember that show signs of you wanting to be a helper or feeling deeply or uh, like what were the hurts, the joys that brought you a desire to help other people? And I think it was always within me. Um, Share a really funny story. And I vaguely remember doing this, but I have three older siblings who like to share sometimes interesting stories about our childhood. But I would, we lived on a farm and I had a tricycle, you know, the really awesome ones that had the seats that lifted up and you could put things in. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so on a farm, you find things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many discoveries uh-huh. for your little seat compartment. Exactly. Right. So you got it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and I, I was just trying to love them. I nurture all the things I would find and put in my little seat compartment. And then, you know, sometimes they would not survive. And so yeah. then we'd have to go through. You're talking about living things. Like little animals you'd find. <laughs> I just wanted to love them. <laughs> like what? Like birds. You put a bird in your, in your tricycle? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like they'd be there, you know, and. Uh-huh. And I don't really necessarily remember it, but my siblings make fun of me all the time for it. Because How old are you? Tricycle age. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. With the cool right. seat, you guys. Yeah. That's a key component. Uh, no, like, that's yeah. Specific, yeah. Yeah, that is no, a specific yeah. You're like of the, what, like, early 90s? <laughs> you're coming across these lovable creatures, and you want to love them. Just like all of the cartoons that you had watched. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This is very, yeah. um, what, Lenny and George, right? Oh, I don't know um, that one. If it wasn't on PBS, I didn't see it. <laughs> I lived on a farm in Iowa. Doesn't matter. Anyway, he had like these pets that he would accidentally Kill. hurt in wanting to love them. Yeah, sure, sure. So, and another piece is we would watch like America's Funniest Home Videos. Sure, oh, yeah. And everybody course. would laugh so hard when people would get hurt. And I just um, never found that to be funny. Mm-hmm. And then so then I would get mm-hmm. a lot of heat. Oh, directed yes. at me because, like, why aren't yeah. you laughing? Like, you have no sense of humor, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, those poor people. Well, yeah. Like, how hurt are they? Yeah. I'm like, did anybody uh, else talk to him about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, like, everybody's laughing at you. Right. right. And so that's a double hit. You're hurting. You have that empath hurt for the other person, and then you have that vulnerable exposure of yourself that gets Slaps, picked at in your family, down, too. Yeah. 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 So that's another key component when looking back. Like about who I was as a child. Sure, sure. Um, like you could, f- do you remember feeling that hurt or the concern? Like how did that concern, do you remember what that felt like for you? Yeah, I was one concerned for the people who are being hurt Yeah, right through the videos. But then I was also very concerned my people around me, my family were laughing. Yeah. And then it was weird to me when they're like, well, why aren't you laughing? So I felt very... Like, I should be doing this thing, but it doesn't feel yeah, good to do that thing. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. Interesting. I mean, that's a really early experience of that lonely separateness. Like, it's me and them in my own family. Yeah. And, and, and kind of through sort of a, a justice, you want to help fix that injustice. But then the power of the community is telling you, no, you're the one that's wrong. Damn. Like, I've, I watched you advocate for us as students. When you get something that you are passionate about, you sort of attack it. I've observed a passion in you to help other people through advocacy and justice. And I'm curious just what personally has motivated that in you. Because I know that obviously we're talking about something just naturally arising in you as, as a toddler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a really great girlfriend and uh, that I grew up with, uh-huh. and her and I would always refer to it as my inner flame. <laughs> mm, wow. I've always been a very passionate person. Uh, I'm more of, okay, so like, I will sit back and observe, but then if it becomes, like, I, I like feel a bubble up within me, yeah. mm-hmm. and then I can't hold it in any longer, mm-hmm. um, and then my passion just shines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I know that you um, became a teacher because of some teachers. 
that were in your life. I know that you became a helper for the people you help for very specific reasons. And I'm just curious what you would be open to sharing with us about those. So I personally was um, in mandated court therapy. My parents divorced when I was four. And so the court required my siblings and I to go to therapy. And again, I don't remember all the exact specifics, but I do always remember that therapist was not helpful. Mm-hmm. Like I felt that. Um, my siblings and I have kind of talked about it later on and we would kind of mock the mm-hmm. techniques that therapist was using. Um, but really what we learned through that therapy was tell the therapist what they want to know so we can wrap it up so mm-hmm. we don't have to go anymore and we can kind of do our own thing. And it worked. I also had some experiences with school counselors who weren't great mm-hmm. and caused more harm than good. So some of those things, those experiences in my life, I think helped me want to protect others who maybe didn't always have a voice of their own. And sometimes I feel like I do the work I do because I didn't always have that voice. And I wish maybe somebody could have had that voice for me when I didn't have that voice at that time. Where did you find, it seems to me like you're talking about there wasn't a sense of safety. Yeah. There wasn't a sense of trust. Mm -hmm. And that mainly the adults in your life were not very trustworthy. Until I found the adults that were. Exactly. That's where I'm going with this. So that paired with your inner fire. Yeah. Seems super, super important. Yeah. So I had a lot of great Mm -hmm. teachers growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, One in particular was one of my high school teachers who was actually one of my fax teachers who inspired me to become a fax teacher. Her name is Mrs. Still. Shout out to Mrs. Still. (laughs) Um, Tell me what fax is. Family and consumer sciences. Family and consumer sciences. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm like. So we talked about like family they systems. They teach you how to use and... a fax machine. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, so we talked a lot so about. So this is like home ec. Oh, that's like home. Oh, dang. Counselor, sorry. Counselor. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just offended people. My bad. Ladies. It's ignorance. Teach me. Teach me. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. I forget you. Um, family and consumer science. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a lot about family systems and she was just the type of educator who saw you as a human Mm -hmm. and not just a student who Mm -hmm. knew you had stuff and was willing to listen. Like I truly felt heard, seen, accepted, loved by her. Yeah. Um, she was the type of educator who would open up her doors before or after class time, Mm -hmm. um, who would check in on you. Yeah. So I really appreciate her. I also had a school counselor when I was in high school, uh, Mrs. Shea. Shout out to Mrs. Shea. Um, who just kind of helped you see the big picture. Oh, yeah. And kind of got you thinking outside of small town Iowa. Mrs. Still mm-hmm. helped you feel safe. Yes. And honored your individuality and saw you as a unique human being and not just a student she needed to teach. Correct. She didn't see you as a transaction. Yeah. Uh, She opened her door to you both before and after uh, class. She created a sense of safety in the class, sense of well-being and belonging. And Mrs. Shea. Mrs. Shea. Mrs. Shea showed you that you weren't trapped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She also... It's a bit familiar to me, too. Yeah, yeah? (laughs) Small town Iowa, small town Oklahoma is about the same. Small towns are small towns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did Mrs. Shea help you see outside of the small town, outside of the farm? Yeah, she... When I was in high school, and kind of dating myself here a little bit, (laughs) um... College credit was just kind of becoming a thing in high school, and she really advocated for us to start taking those electives so we would kind of have a step up. 
exploring options. I remember um, talking to her about like what your passions were and different fields that you could pursue, but also talking to her about the heavy. Oh yeah. And I really appreciated that she did not give me the same experience as other helping professionals where she kept that confidential. Um, yeah. And she really kind of helped empower mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Which yeah. I really appreciated. Actually, um, a group of my friends, when she gave birth to her first child, we drove up to see her um, in the hospital. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 So That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's cool. What was it that you started to see outside? Like, what were you shooting for? Like, after high school? Because she started getting you prepared to do college in high school. So you would go mm-hmm. into college with some credit. Like... What were you aiming for? Was it to escape being trapped? Was it um, to learn how to help people to become a teacher? Like, what was that? Yeah, so she also, um, like, I spent most of my senior year at the elementary, uh, like, working with the PE teacher, which I loved, Hmm. loved. I also um, became, like, a mentor to some fifth-grade students, which I really loved, too. So I knew I wanted to work with people in some capacity. Yeah. I just didn't know necessarily what capacity. Or what capacity was even available to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many options. And I'm even now I'm like, oh, that would have been a cool career. <laughs> right, right. I feel like I still stumble into that. Right. Um, so I think that was a huge component, just um, that exposure, that early exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And taking those experiences and helping guide my direction. Mm-hmm. I will also say, I did talk about Mrs. Shea and Mrs. Still. But, like, I had phenomenal coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a family who I babysat for who became my family. Mm-hmm. My friends, parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of solid yeah. people in my world mm-hmm. that I would take little beats and bits and pieces from. Um, that I truly loved and admired about them. Yeah. I think it's always remarkable when, especially with how young we can be, when we start to feel the gap in what we need, like not being presented to us and how we go in pursuit of it and find it anyway. It's impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My guess is that most of us had pain that we don't want other people to go through. Mm -hmm. Or that if they are going through, we can be sort of a safe spot, a kind of respite, a a guide to healing. And I don't know. And that seems like that's just on my mind right now. Yeah, like I always think back to one of my favorite children's books, and it's We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go over it. You can't, can't go, go under, under it. it. You got to go through it. Mm. And I want to be the person who goes through it with those people. <laughs> you want to go on the bear hunt? I want to go on the bear hunt with them. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's a worthy pursuit. I just... I don't know how people find themselves in healing places if you haven't had to heal. Because if you've had to heal, then you know the value of healing. You know the experience of it. And you, many of us, I think, feel drawn to be a part of that over and over and over again. Even if it's not for ourselves. Just to be alongside the process of going on the bear hunt. We don't have to shoot the bear. I don't have to do all of it. But I can bear witness. I'm curious what you guys think about this. So I was listening to an episode of On Purpose with Jay Shetty and Trevor Noah was on. He was asking Trevor, like, where is home? How do you know what home is? And having to move a lot of different places in his life and how not being able to, not knowing what it's like to lose a place and then get familiar with a new place is 
it expands your mind. I, I remember going, oh my God, this is what I do as a helper. And what I've learned from a very deep, rich place, I go on journeys all the time to learn and be curious and to not grab on and control or judge what I'm hearing, but just to say, this is what is. I, can't, I don't know why it is in your life. I don't know why the pain has happened. I don't know where you've come from, but I'm here to learn. And that exploration and the openness necessary to become familiar with what you're not familiar with is rare, <laughs> is courageous, <clears throat> is the thing that this is the thing that makes the traditional self-care shit shitty. I feel manipulated and I feel advertised to and sold to and as if I am a product or a consumer that just needs to consume a product whether that's an actual product that I have to purchase or if that's a training I have to buy or a retreat I have to attend uh, or a coping skill I need to get better at. Whatever that is, you don't see me as a human. You're not willing to see me as a full, complex, wonderful, but also shitty person. Like, and so when I ask for real feedback, <laughs> I am not asking for praise. I am asking for see me as whole. That is what this is all about. Like, this is what we are here for. I say, don't put me in a box. You were saying earlier, Casey, this is off mic, but you were saying that um, you're no princess, something to that effect. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And I don't know where exactly where I'm going with this, but it really is sort of like being not being seen. And I just want to ask you to comment on that experience. I think people, society tells you at a very young age who you're supposed to be. Sure. And they do put you in a box. And when you don't want to be in that box, mm you make others uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and sometimes making people feel uncomfortable isn't safe. Mm. Whether it be sure. physical safety or emotional safety, financially safe, like mm -hmm. all the ways. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. Right. I was talking about um, my daughter's a lot like me mm -hmm. to where we're not a certain thing. And I have taught her. A princess. You don't, yeah, you don't You're have not to a be. certain princess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you can be who you want to be. And if mm -hmm. you want to dress up and look beautiful one day in heels, you do that. Go for it. If you want to play football in the backyard and get muddy, you do that. Mm -hmm. Like, don't put be, me in a box. Be fucking yeah. powerful. Yeah. 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 Like, let me be who I am. Yes. Yeah. Well, when we talk so much about living a good life, and a lot of that is prescribed to us of what that is defined by. And that's what I think are just the trappings of those expectations of consumerism, of capitalism, of you have to buy another thing in order to be what you're supposed to be. We, like, raise your hand if you've worked in a space where we call our clients, customers, consumers. That they're literally here in mental health treatment, consuming, gobbling up resources. Like, we need to just remind everyone all the time of that. That this is a thing. A tangible thing that is being handed out to these sick people. Like, mm, we don't have to be a certain thing. When and compassion is not between... The helper and the wounded, I think, is sure. the, how, how Pima says it, is between equals. 
which is uh, to me doesn't mean that you can't be a helper, but it's that you are a human helping a human first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your expertise or your skill comes second. And like, we're not mechanics. We're not mechanics. Someone asked me the other day in this, like, what would you do? Like, it was that tone. Ben, what would you do if you found out a client had been lying to you? This is someone who's not in our profession. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> By the way. I'm like, do you want me to answer? I, I laughed. <laughs> so I are mean, you serious? This is what I do all the time. Hold on. I happen to like working with people with borderline personality disorder, first and foremost. Lies are there. They're just there because everybody likes getting an A in therapy. So fibs happen. Forgetfulness happens. You forget why you're there even. If I ask you, how's your week been? Oh, good. Uh We're so programmed that even in the therapy room, people will give you the canned, easy, simple, nice answer. Well, it's also hard. The work is hard. Yeah. And And sometimes I don't feel like it. So I'm fine. Don't ask more because I don't have the energy. I'm fine. Like lies are so many different shades that this question just blew me away. And the intensity of how they were asking, like, I don't have the authority to make people tell me the truth. They tell me what they tell me. And sometimes I challenge it and sometimes I go with it. It depends on the context. Huge context of me being a part of their life. Yeah. There was a, a teacher. Who was it? can't remember, but he said something that was profound to me. He said, um, we are not social change agents. And he said, that's, that's a probation officer. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. I'm not, I'm not here to control you. I'm here to show up for you. Mm. You know, and I'll help to prompt the way to change. But not here to to grab on and to manipulate nope and i don't have truth serum (laughs) right and that's yeah and that like yeah i'm not a mechanic i'm not twisting bolts um i'm a human i'm a human helper and very similarly like i got into this work because of my own sense of loneliness and my own sense of, I don't know, knowing that that's a problem. (laughs) And so, um, like a lot of stuff was happening in the background where I didn't know exactly how influential like addiction and, um, like depression, anxiety, ADHD stuff was really happening. Like it was, it was all influential from my family. And I didn't realize really, I'm still learning about how that is influential in like lineage, not just, not just like my immediate family stuff, but yeah, like just the, there's a problem. I can sense it. Um, I don't like it when it happens to me. I'm going to help the people. And I think that this, this set, we have this sense of willingness to go into the bear hunt, the willingness to go into the burning building, the will- willingness to go into the scary, uh, different ways of living and thinking. And I think that it's not really known how disorienting that can be. Um, like there's no fire to burn you where there's nothing that you can, you can see. I can't explain, hey, it's like going into a fire where, and a person understand, oh, I understand heat. I understand how, how hot fire can get. That would cause me to burn and it would cause a scar and it would cause a lot of external problems that are easily visible, but we're not the things that I have gone through, like the compassion fatigue 
that I've experienced, the, the trauma, the secondary traumatic stress, the nightmares of uh, the nightmares, the physical sensations that I wake up with out of sleep. Um, that's not easily conveyable. Like it's really difficult. And I think that's why the, the just, this is just another reason why the canned self-care shit is shit. <laughs> right? Like right. it is very difficult to, to heal this like willingness to go get hurt to help someone and how twisty that can make our minds and our perspectives of life. Your dad is an educator, right? Yeah. You, you just talked about this like going into people's minds mm -hmm. in almost like an academic kind of sense, which is mm. a, a Ben mode kind of thing. That's, that's a Ben thing. <laughs> sure, sure. But follow me. Yeah. Where did the Bear Hunt song or book come from for you the, like the very first time? I think after I had kids. <clears throat> and you're using the the bear hunt, something tied directly to childhood, your own children, your like role and identity as a mother. I talk about it as going into the burning building. My early influences being the observations I had of helpers was my dad was a fireman. And so like the toll that would take on him and also the intensity and the excitement that he would have from it and the visceral smell. Like I have very, very, very specific associations with that description. And so even to take the work that we're doing, the, the analogies that we use to describe how intense it is to try to get someone else to connect with what we, what we feel when we're in that, that intimate space with someone else that we're helping someone innocent, someone in pain, someone in these, these, mm -hmm. these states of being that so many of us want to cringe and hide and tell ourselves we're invincible to, mm -hmm. that we're there with. We even hold within ourselves the descriptions based on the things that we personally feel so intensely mm -hmm. close to that have been such intense influences on us in a lifelong way. Like, did you always want to be a mom? Did you know that that, that specific nurturing piece was in you? alongside the flame. Like you're tying the things together. This is how we know that this is who we are. Mm. It's not just what we do. Ooh. And I'm just really, really struck by the ways that we manifest those. That was beautiful. It was, it gave me chills as everyone was talking about it and I realized when it what was coming together to me. Goosebumps. Yeah. Cause when we talk about this, I always go back to this, this childhood place of like, I can smell smoke when we talk about it. When my oh, dad comes damn. in the house and he's been out like all night at a fire. Yeah, yeah. It's a sensation that is always with me. Hmm. Probably leads us into the next phase of this conversation. Like what is, what is your wiring? What is your system? What is you, as you launch into it and you realize the realities of working in the public school system, I'm going to yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. How did you have to adjust? How did, what did you, what life raft did you cling to first when it starts to get real? So when I'm with students going through the mud, um, my first and foremost priority is them. Yeah. But I also have a team and I rely heavily on my team. Mm. You know, when your team is solid, great things get done. Absolutely. Kids get helped, and that's what matters. That's why we're in mm -hmm. the business we're in. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And yes, it kind of takes a toll on you at times, but it was worth it. All the hard was worth it because that student got the help they needed, and that's all that matters. I'm thinking about a case that you talked about once that, I mean, literally, you were getting beat up almost every day. How did you get through that? Like, what kept you there? Um, kept you going back? Because I remember telling you, like, literally, I wanted you to stop. I wanted you to stop getting hurt every day. And you were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I've seen 
been leaned way too far in on one of those cases before. It happens <laughs> to all of us, right? But even as you're talking, I can think of like the clients that I overworked for just sort of just pissed about it because I'm gonna. But I'm curious what your answer is. But we've all been in that like, I'm gonna push through this. I don't care what anybody thinks or does or what my own boundaries should I'm, probably be. I'm not going to stop. Uh, yeah. 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 It's a mission. Who else would show up for the kid? I cared so deeply about that kid and still do to this day. Still check up on him. <laughs> yep. Um, like, in the system we're in, we're not really built to handle some of the cases that are presenting. Right. Um, so in this situation, we were getting the student the resources they needed, where we're getting the help they needed. It's just a long process. Um, and not everybody is capable of doing the things, right? The so, process itself. I mean, yeah. and even the patience of how long that can take. Right. And when students are physically violent, not everybody can handle that. And so... I was going to go on the bear hunt. <laughs> we're already on the hunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the time I'm getting kicked, we're already on the hunt. Yeah, I'm already there. And, you know, uh, honestly. That's right. It's- my thought process with all of that is if I'm there when it starts, I want to be there when it finishes because that restorative work after the fact is so critical for me and our relationship and for that student. Like that part is essential. How is that essential for you? I think that the whole process, right? Like it's truly going through the messiness of it. But after the fact, I am showing that kid, I am here. We made it through together. I love you. Let's do the repair work. We're going to start fresh. I want them to know that through the heart of it, I'm not giving up on them. I know how that story ended where it did come out on a really amazing side and that you, you two were able to have such a wonderful last day for him. I think you were saying that you just like had a really special day for him and, and you walked him out to his mom and you were holding hands, just not saying anything. He said to me, I want to give you half my heart. So you'll always remember me. And I was like, whoa, waterworks. But, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was like, oh. like, if you only knew. Right. And so, yes, when we were walking, and like, it was such a fun, amazing day. And he told his mom, this is the best day ever. And that's the goal. Like, I wanted him to feel so much love. <laughs> and he told me that, um, he's like, you know, I love you, right? And the waterworks again. Right? <laughs> so... The things that we went through. Yeah. I mean, like, on my birthday, he punched me in my face. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I go from, like, oh, I'm a little, like, teary to, yeah, punch in the face. This, I mean, that's, this is what we do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Spit and scream. It's so sweet. And then you get punched. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, we've been through the hard together. And it didn't matter. Like, I was still going to show up for him. If anybody was working with him, I wanted to be the one working with him. I wanted to be going through the heart with him because I knew I could love him on the other end and throughout. Not everybody has that capability. This is what's, I don't know, it's very special. It's incredibly special. Like that last day was, was, a, was a period on the end of a very long <laughs> sentence, it sounds like. Right? Like there was a lot of things that led up to that. Yeah. But you weren't there for that day. Like you're, you're not in it because of that day. You're not in it because he loves you. You're, you're not in it because he, you know, like that connecting moment happened. That's part of it. The whole process of being able to see him through and not abandon him at his worst and show him that he can be loved and repair and fix and not be just completely ruined mm-hmm. by a bad shitty day. That's the thing. Yeah. It's the day you get punched in the face that matters just as much as the day that he holds your hand and tells you that you're amazing. Absolutely. Is that sort of like a key key thing to stay quote unquote professional through this whole thing. 
for the reason that I want to be in this work or that I am in this work is because of an, a, uh, an experience of loving responsibility. And as I've said that, I've, as I listened to myself saying that, I want to just make clear that it is not that I love responsibility. <laughs> okay. That I actually kind of detest that. I feel a state. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> I feel a state of loving, a state of loving responsibility in terms of I cannot help but feel responsible because of the love I experience. Mm. And isn't the typical professional language that you hear, but it's definitely a personal experience of this is why I'm here. And, and I think that this whole conversation we've been talking about, like professional and the personal in being intertwined and mm -hmm. we cannot untwine it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I feel like we care so deeply, which is our greatest strength, mm -hmm. but also maybe our kryptonite as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that goes to the self-care piece. Exactly. Which, how do we maintain it? Well, and it's, it's hard to have a, it's hard to have a clear view of it when there's so much mixed messaging and the feedback we, we get about those deep feelings. Mm -hmm. Like not only do you feel deeply and not only is that helpful to a lot of people, it's also very inconvenient to people. And you're supposed to pack it up, take it away, do some self-care and come back when you can be cool again. Right. When you need, yeah. as, a, as a person who is, is stepping up to other people's needs, when you need, people freak out. Yeah. It's like they feel like. That's not your role. It's not your role. And if I'm looking to you for help and you need help, then I need help so much I can't even manage. I can't even imagine what all I need for help. And holding all of that is just really burdensome. I also feel like when we bring emotions and problems to our colleagues, we're always all coming at it in a terms of like, well, I have to fix this problem. Mm -hmm. When really, actually, I just need someone to treat me like a whole human being. You know, I don't need you to fix my problems. I, I'm not looking for a mechanic. I'm looking for a listening ear. You want to be seen. You want to be heard. Exactly. It doesn't mean that I need you to invest like tons of emotion into my problem. That is just, I, I want you to be curious and not come at me with all like your tools. Quit trying to dial up how fast I can get past whatever the exactly. thing is. Exactly. Exactly. Like I don't need, I don't need your feelings chart. I don't need your, your. I love my feelings chart. <laughs> Yeah, if I'm going through something and you, ugh. Is this despair or is this rage? But it's a rainbow wheel. It's so cute. It has little faces on it and everything. Let's <laughs> <laughs> face it. <laughs> no, I think that what you're talking about, it's a time and place, right? Like in the, mm -hmm. in the moment, you're just in the moment. You just want to be seen and heard. And then afterwards, we could talk about what feeling that was. Right. After we get... Um, like licenses and diplomas, we we treat each other like we're just a piece of paper or just a credential. We're not a person anymore. Like I don't need to prove to you what my credentials are, but also I'm more than just that, mm. right? Yeah. I will say, I feel there are some people who do need those credentials and want to share them out with the world. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like a competition. Oof. Uh, I know mm -hmm. you guys had that podcast earlier about competition. Yeah. I was an ass. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like sometimes that it could be competitive for some people. Absolutely. Yeah. But I so, also, there's right, so right? much performative, yes. competitive yeah. stuff going on. And yeah. I will say after yeah. I earned my PhD, what I found really interesting is that was threatening to others. Oh, absolutely. That I was not prepared for. Yeah. And it was so funny because we just talked with one of our professors the other day and I said that. And she's like, well, yeah. And I was like, 
<laughs> Why didn't you say something? Then? <laughs> Why didn't you? You didn't me? mention this, <laughs> right? Why wasn't that a lecture that you gave? Like I received many. A few, Where was this one? A few right, lectures exactly. We missed that yeah. we needed anyway along the road. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I do feel like it's very important to summer. Like it is what you make of it. Like anything else, if that piece of paper burns, you still have what you got out of it. When they hand that to you, that's not the end point. That's not some, like, I have the exact amount of knowledge that I will need going forward. I won't forget a single piece of it. I won't add to it. This I got this, and it's the end. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end right here in one piece of paper. Like We say that so often about the piece of paper. And I think we just have to let it go and be the, the versions of what we're going to be. I can tell you my credentials if it gives you some sort of comfort as a client. Interesting. It reminds me of like the conversation we had with Annis, mm-hmm. where she was talking about the commitment to put herself on the side of change that she wants to be on and letting go of this idea of being able to control it. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I think it's just a beautiful blend of acceptance and change. And that's part of, for me, self-care, just loving myself and knowing and honoring my limits. Well, we're, I mean, we're improvement oriented. Yeah. What isn't about improvement? Every, like we have reality shows that are based on improving how you look. We have entire channels based on improving how your house looks. We have, I mean, you're supposed to upgrade your car. You're supposed to upgrade your phone. The constant like improvement mindset is ours as well because people land in our seats seeking some sort of improvement. But also- the whole self-care industry, that's their goal, right? Because then we just feel like we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this, because this is what we're being told. We have to take care of ourselves. But we're really just spiraling deeper because those things are very superficial. Absolutely. Like when I hear the term self-care, I immediately go to like, that is just one more thing that I'm not good at and I'm not enough at. Yes. Right. Yep. Right. But then it really determines like it really depends on my lens of self-care not what the world is telling me exactly when it comes to being patient with ourselves and understanding ourselves and loving ourselves honoring our limits honoring our strengths it is it is frustrating to me and ironically a problem that i have of not really embracing what I do well, or even wanting to talk about what I do well. This whole conversation, a lot of times, Casey, you've talked about uh, other people and not what you do well, Mm -hmm. right? Or the importance it is for you or how real courageous you are and willing to go on that bear hunt, how amazing What a commitment to that child you gave that changed his life and changed yours in, in, in retro. Mm -hmm. He's holding your hand and stops you and goes, you know, I love you, right? Can you come see me? Can you come visit me? Can you come with me? Those kinds of things, you know, you made a, you made a difference. And, and you also know how hard it was to make that difference. Like the the nights of coming home and treating your bruises. I'll also say that's where having a team, and I know you guys have talked about this in your other podcast, but like really having that connection with people, the people you can go to and lean in with who understand mm-hmm. the work. Yeah. That was probably the best soul care mm. during that process. Mm-hmm. Um, Why do you think? Why not that and not, why not like Peloton or <laughs> um, – it's, it's not the superficial stuff, right? It's the, the stuff that nurtures our soul. Mm-hmm. So connecting with people. Mm-hmm. We've talked about yoga, meditation, mm-hmm. really looking inward mm-hmm. to ourselves and sitting with ourselves in the silence. That is where the work is done. Six hours a day, I do therapy, Yeah. right? Six hours a day, I'm trying to solve problems that I really don't have the solution for, right? Like, 
I've never lived a lot of these problems, but I am trying to imagine what it's like, empathize what it's like, run it through my lens of my theoretical stuff and the techniques I could use. And I'm here for you. And that's a part of the answer. It's not just me being a technician and giving you the thing so you can fix the problem because it's not that simple. When there's no easy answer, I need people to turn to. Even when I brought the case, when I first shared the case with you, Mm -hmm. by that time it was almost a year into the case. And I was... In the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, like I was just exhausted. And... (laughs) I was like crying. I was a blubbery mess, like sharing this whole <laughs> case. And I was just like, I don't know. How, I don't know what more to do. I can help. And honestly, I didn't look for, I wasn't looking for answers. I was just looking for the hand. Mm-hmm. You know, just. And I wanted to jump in and start like, <laughs> well, you got to leave. We're used to consultation. Yeah. We're used to asking, what the hell am I supposed to do here? Like, that's usually kind of what we do. And you have 30 minutes because we need to have two cases. Mm-hmm. you leave with almost feeling like, oh, that's just a list of stuff that, um, a more list of stuff I'm not doing or that I'm doing wrong <laughs> or that I should have done six months ago, I guess. Once again, I'm not enough. Of course that's defeating. Mm-hmm. That's not validating. That's not encouraging. And yet it's those connections that are the thing. They're the thing that you need. And so when those are hard, when you're watching funniest videos with your family and they don't get it the way you get it, when you're sitting with your team and struggling and breaking, breaking apart and they don't see it, then it's a, it's a similar loneliness, right? Yeah. But when they do get it. Yeah, exactly. When they do get it, it is everything. And I kind of referenced this earlier, but like you're just running, right? You don't have the capacity to stop and feel it all and to really work through it all. And I feel for, Four years during my PhD program, I was in survival mode. And so I didn't always feel like I was working a full-time job. Going through the PhD program, being a single mom. Like, I didn't always take the time. Not on the list. Right. I didn't, I didn't have time. <laughs> so <laughs> I just didn't have the capacity. Well, the most efficient thing, though, yeah. is to put it aside. Right. That's just true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, I think that's really important that we need to have those discussions, which that's what this is right here. Listening to your podcast has been very beneficial for me. Um, sharing your experiences, but sometimes we're not always, it's not always acceptable for us to share these experiences. And I I feel we need to move away from that because we're feeling it. I don't know one helper that does not feel this at some capacity. And if we don't talk about it, then there's this big internal ball of, oh my gosh, I'm not doing it right. I'm not enough. I'm not professional enough. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. And the shame, mm-hmm. guilt, the, all the things that occur. So I have really learned to really start talking to others about the experience, which is hard. Like, it's hard being vulnerable. It's hard finding uh, the right people to talk with as well. Because plenty of people are in the place that you were in two years ago, three years ago, whatever, that you really are putting on hold a lot of the, the thinking and the feeling and the processing. Because I have three main roles. I don't have room for another role to be like, woo-woo, taking care of me. I'm going to have to hold on. And there are just seasons of life that we're there, that we we can't make the real time to have the real conversation. Sometimes we can listen to other people have the conversation for Absolutely. us at least. But, <laughs> and so making sure that you're cultivating those people who aren't going to rush you or dismiss you or be so overloaded with their own stuff that they can't hear you. Yeah, like tell you to get a hobby. <laughs> like tell you to get a hobby. <laughs> or some other way of making you feel more lonely and more like Go it's golf. your own problem. Go golf. Yeah, why not? Uh-huh. You do that. Yeah, get some fresh air. Sure. I'm not talking about anything particular. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. And we have to call out each other when it's time to really officially do our own work. I think that is our responsibility that we carry around. And how often do we go to supervisors, colleagues, other people in our profession to just talk through kind of what we're feeling? And they make some pretty serious suggestions about 
I think this is your own trauma history and maybe you need to get back to doing your own work or do you need um, a med adjustment? Are you sure that you're managing your own depression, your own ADHD, your own anxiety? Are you managing those well? Are you taking sleeping medication since you're having nightmares about this client that I make you keep and I won't let you change? Well, and, and that's the thing is the entire system would be better served with humans in mind. And that is not a reality in most ways. Because let's be honest. Our healthcare system isn't made with humans in mind. <laughs> Our school system isn't made with humans in mind. Our, yeah. uh, this is exactly what I'm getting at. Like we want things that are easily digestible, fast, and, and there's no real humanity there. There's, there's a, a transaction and there's like simple, sugary, quick, and that's all. And, it's hard. And so I mean, we're talking about unpacking all, I mean, a huge chunk of our expectation and our sense of normalcy in how we deal with each other and how we deal as professionals and how we, I mean, it's big. It's really big. Here's the deal. We are humans and even us as adults want to be seen, want to be heard, want to have that reassurance that we are enough, that we are safe. And how does that occur? Yeah. Vulnerability. Yeah. But I think even some of the people in our field have fallen into that trap of mm -hmm. transactional relationships with people. Sure. Mm -hmm. You come to me seeking information, not seeking healing. Or resources, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's sometimes we have to do that. We have to teach people. We have to show them. Resources, referrals. Where to go, what to do, like the, the mm -hmm. bones of it all. But mm -hmm. all of that has to have some flesh on it or it's, it's not actually mm -hmm. doing anything. Mm -hmm. It's not living. But without that flesh, without that connection, without that intimacy, it could feel like they they just don't want me. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You just you represent a problem that I have to solve rather than a person I can connect with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dismissive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this question. And it doesn't have to be positive. That's the thing that we all have to remember. It doesn't have to be positive. It's entertaining, remarkable. A representation, books, TV, movies, and pop culture of a helper, of a counselor, of a therapist, of a social worker, of however you define us. Who do you see as your favorite in pop culture? My favorite. You know, so I just watched this TV show called Shrinking on Apple oh, TV. Yeah. This one keeps coming up and I haven't watched it. Yeah. So it's truly about them as humans. Yeah. They're therapists. But it's showing them as humans. And they're, they practice differently and sometimes unethically. Um, <laughs> sure. But it's really it showing human. that human experience, which is cool to see. Yeah. As far as specifically school counselors, I have not seen a positive school counselor. Ooh. Ever, I don't believe. They're often referred to as guidance counselors, which is a huge no-no in our profession. Um, they're often hurtful. Uh, 13 reasons why. Yeah. Oh. It comes to mind really quickly. It's yeah. the only one I could think of. Yeah, I forgot. Honestly, that. like, in any... In the book, I think it... In the book, I think it was a little yeah. better. In, in, in books and movies and TV series, like, there's not a great representation of a school counselor on what we do, which is heartbreaking because then this is, like, a true representation of how the world views our profession. Um, and it... Don't get me wrong. We have a ways to go to advocate for what we do um, as school counselors. We've come a long way, but there's still such a long way to come. You know what? Your inner fire is burning bright and is beautiful. So keep shining, sister. People who do have our inner flame and who are passionate, it's who we are. And we're not going to dim it. That you're comfortable. <laughs> I haven't found that that my efforts to dim it have made my or the people who I actually want to help lives better. It makes the lives better of people I don't 
really give a fuck about it. It's making them comfortable so, while you yeah. suffer. Yeah. Before we got here, that's exactly what I was thinking about both of you. <laughs> so I'm very happy that you said that because I was like, I'm just waiting this whole time going. Yeah. I don't even know you that well. And I'm like, she's she's my people. When will yeah. the vibe happen? Because it's, it's happening. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having us over, for having this conversation with us. It's been so cool. Thank you.